Welcome to Fellowship Safaris, conversations about people of color and their journeys to subspecialist training in their countries of origin and around the world. Welcome everyone to this episode of Fellowship Safaris podcast. Today, I get another chance to interview a really good friend of mine who I would not have met had it not been for fellowship. And I'm so privileged and honored to get to know her and for you to be able to hear about her life and her experience in fellowship. And before we get any further, I'll give her an opportunity to introduce herself, as well as what her professional qualifications are. Hi, Jerry. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm Dr. Fatima Bukhalev. I'm from Kuwait. I got my pediatric residency from Kuwait Institute of Medical Specialization. And just recently, I completed my adolescent medicine fellowship in Toronto, Canada. That is so exciting. I want to start by asking Fatma, why did you select pediatrics as a specialty? What drew you to it? Honestly, I just felt it throughout my medical school. I didn't consider pediatrics as a career and it just happened that it was my last rotation in my final year. And I don't know, I just felt I belonged to pediatrics. It fits me. And after completing medical school and starting my internship, I just knew it. Like, you know, I was enjoying pediatric. I was so passionate about it. I loved working with kids and their families. And I know some kids have serious medical conditions. However, overall, working with kids gives you joy they have positive energy, whether it's a minor illness or a serious illness. If they have, if they feel well, you can just see it and their energy gets to you. So yeah, that's why I chose pediatrics because it's something I love and I'm passionate about. I love the fact that your passion and your love for it grew quite naturally, like towards the end of medical school. And it's really great to hear that perspective because there are some people who, from medical school, they already know what it is they want to do. And it sounds like for you, you are open to different opportunities. And this one is something that really grabbed at you. And thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to also just ask, how did you come about going from practicing as a consultant pediatrician to now, you know, selecting? adolescent medicine. How did that come about? So um, it took some time coming from Ireland to practicing in Kuwait, where pediatrics, like international pediatrics, up to 18. And then in Kuwait, it's only up to 12. And right from the start, like I felt this is not logical. This is not right. Uh, We are missing big punch of pediatric population who needs like, you know, medical care. And I didn't feel that adult medicine is the right fit. Over the time 
in my practice, and after finishing residency, I worked as a member in SCAN team, where I had a chance to care for for kids and adolescents up to 18. And I came across some teens who were mistreated by their families, seeing how vulnerable they are, just touched something in me. And over a few years, I was talking to a friend. She came to Kuwait as general pediatrician, but she already had an adolescent medicine fellowship. So throughout the, our conversations and discussions, adolescent medicine interest grew in me until I had the courage to pursue uh, adolescent medicine um, as a career. I love the fact that you had this friend who had some experience or rather had done their fellowship in adolescent medicine. And then that's together with you working in a SCAN program. And just for the people listening, what's a SCAN program? It's suspected child uh, abuse and neglect program. Usually we care for kids from um, neonates up to 18 who have been physically, sexually, emotionally neglected or abused by adults. Okay. And what I'm finding interesting and quite similar is your experience in Kuwait where the age limit for pediatrics was until age 12, which is very similar to our setting in Kenya, where mm-hmm. in the pediatrics wards, in the public health setting, the age limit is actually also 12 years. And it's so interesting that SCAN had an extension of that up until age 18. I guess we're very, very fortunate that your work in the SCAN program, together with having these conversations, worked out really, really well to you narrowing down on adolescent medicine. So what happened from there? At first, I was I was honestly thinking of a fellowship in United Kingdom, given that they're, they're geographically closer to Kuwait and it would be um, easier for me and my family. I started trying to apply for a sponsored fellowship funded by um, Kuwait government. This also... Um, took some time, so maybe one and a half or two months to get all the documents and requirements done. During that process, I needed a recommendation letter and I approached the pediatric program director um, and I asked him for a letter. So when he asked me, which program are you considering? He told, I told, and I told him as a medicine in the United Kingdom. And he said, why UK? Um, you should, you should go for a Canadian program because it's well established. So just think about it. And this is my recommendation. And he was actually a Canadian graduate as well. Um, so I did my my research and I thought like I can approach both. And you know, if I get an acceptance, um, I'll just go. And when I got the acceptance letter, I contacted the cultural office telling them I have an offer. Can you please complete the process? While all this is happening in terms of the application, what was happening in the background from the family perspective? And what I mean by that is, so you've identified there's a program and you're doing this application. How did the conversation go between yourself and your family or your family members? Uh, So my initial conversation with my husband um, was about the UK fellowship. And he was open uh, for that when, when I told him that now I'm considering 
um, a Canadian fellowship. Um, he was not really very open, given that um, it's very far away. It has um, <laughs> not the nicest weather. And the timing of the fellowship at that time he was pregnant. And he thought, like, we can wait for maybe two or three years when our kids are older. Why should we go now? Um, and honestly, I thought, like, you know, it's a chance. Usually people wait for two or three years before they get an acceptance. So it was mainly like, you know, let's see how it goes. And then we can discuss this more. He knew that he will not be able to join me. So this also shifted things for us and made it much more difficult. And I was honestly very torn between pursuing this chance and waiting and then see how it goes. Um, at the end, when I um, brought this conversation to my family, like my uh, my parents, they were very supportive in terms of you can go leave the kids because I knew that there would be calls and it would be very, very hard to find someone to care for them if my husband is not coming. Eventually, we decided that everyone will try their best to support me, to advance in my career. And yeah, I I came here. It was very difficult, honestly, up, up to the moment where I um, got what, what it was going to the airport. I was doubting myself if that was the right decision to make. But I came and I'm here and I'm done. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, I'm going to take you a couple of steps back because I've heard a couple of things. One, there were other kids. So how many yeah. children did you have at the time of application? At the time of application, I was having twins. Yes. Five-year-olds. Wow. And you were pregnant at the time. I was pregnant, yes. Oh my gosh. That's a tough one. Like, I can see how on the one hand, your husband is very supportive. And on the other hand, he's like, we have two kids under five. You're pregnant with another one. Um, and the opportunity is now. And that's that's a tough one. That, that truly is a tough one. And, um, you know, a big shout out to your husband, to your parents and all your support system, you know, in terms of being able to support you and say, hey, you can go and do this thing. And we will support you and support your family as best as we can in a very practical way. So a big shout out to your family for being able to help you with such a difficult decision. And by the time now you are going to the airport and really questioning if this is what you really wanted to do, how old was the baby at the time when you were starting to go to Canada for your fellowship? How old was the baby then? Just below five months. <laughs> oh, wow. And, you know, big ups to you, Fatma, because that is not an easy one. Um, leaving a less than five month old for an opportunity. Once you, you know, you got to Canada, what was one of the transitional challenges that you ended up encountering as you were, you know, trying to settle in and trying to get started with the program? What were some of the challenges that came up? Yeah, so first, when I arrived to Canada, it was still COVID. We needed to be quarantined for 14 days. I needed to find a place to live in for the two weeks and then uh, finding an apartment or somewhere to live in for the fellowship. 
And honestly, it was one of the most challenging times because in Toronto, housing and apartments is very competitive. Apartment hunting took me a full month to be able to find one. If we have like a showing for an apartment, it can be gone on the same day. Um, In addition to all the prices, I was told and able to find an apartment, you need to bid on the price and maybe pay a few months in advance. And at that time, I didn't know people. Yeah, so it's very challenging. And between the quarantines, finishing all the papers, finding a place to live. Um, it was very stressful. Yeah, I can only I can only imagine because I remember during that stage, and I think for us as the fellows, we're trying to figure out how do we support Fatma? How do we make sure <laughs> that she gets to settle down? And when we talk about pricing, because people don't really have a context of what housing in Toronto is really like, for a one-bedroomed apartment that was somewhat around or near the hospital, what sort of ranges of prices per month were you hearing in terms of Canadian dollars? What range were you hearing? Yeah, so it was around 2500 2600 for one bedroom apartment. Oh my gosh, in Canadian dollars. To date, I hear the Toronto rent rates and I, I freeze because of how expensive it can get. And you'd need to pay a few months, you know, not just a one month rent. You'd have to pay a few months into that. In addition, if, for example, if the apartment is $3,000, to get this apartment, you're really encouraged to increase the rent. You can say, I want, I will pay $3,300 and I'll pay a few months in advance to get a higher chance to being accepted and get the apartment. I can't believe it. I don't think we fully grasped just how stressful it was in terms of bidding for an apartment and bidding and trying to up the the rent on somebody else so that you're able to get it. And while all this was happening, from the funding perspective, was the funds coming in on a regular basis from Kuwait or was there a bit of a waiting period? Um, yeah, so for the in terms of funding, the way it works for us, um, we will get our monthly salary from Kuwait as is, like, you know, as if you're working in Kuwait and they will give you a few extra hundred dollars <laughs> just because you're being sponsored. I remember I got the funding for one month, but because... All my paperwork were not done at that at that point. They deducted the money again. Although I was I was in Toronto paying rent, paying all the expenses um, until I find, I find an apartment. But they said like if you're not officially in the program, um, then you will um, you will not get the allowance. Oh my paid. gosh, the paperwork and the bureaucracy around the paperwork. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Fatima, because that sounds really stressful. And were there any, I know you've mentioned COVID and, you know, just the expense and the frustration around looking for somewhere to live and get, you know, your everyday things. Were there any other challenges that you encountered when you were transitioning into a fellowship role? Um, Yeah. So starting a new program in a new country with a new system, it was challenging. I didn't have any training in LS medicine. I didn't have any experience with older children and teens. So navigating all of this, in addition to being, you know, 
you are a fellow, you're expected to know everything and start practicing immediately and also train the junior learners as well. What's very stressful, I felt like I needed to learn before I'm, I'm able to um, do everything that I'm expected to do as a fellow. I, I didn't feel that I was really well prepared to take this role. So it took me some time. Yeah. And I think the thing that I find so confusing about fellowship is that a lot of the times we, we felt the need to be prepared to do the fellowship. And the reality is we're coming to learn how to do these things that we did not know how to do before, or we were not doing it as, you know, as efficiently or getting more training. And so I hear you on that in terms of just not feeling well prepared. And I'm so sorry that you had that stress on you when you were starting out. How long had you been practicing for a pediatrician before you started the fellowship? Okay, so I was practicing for around seven seven, eight years, like including the residency program. So the seven, eight years you've been practicing, how is that now transitioning from being an independent, autonomous consultant pediatrician to learner? Was it tough for you or was it much easier for you to be able to transition into that? I think it was somewhere in between because when I came in, I knew that I'm starting as a learner. I was open um, to feedback, open to be guided and to be treated as a learner. I was open and I like, you know, I kept reminding myself that you're here to learn. It's fine. All you need is time. You are able to do that. Just give yourself time and then you will feel more confident and be more skilled in doing adolescent medicine or like, you know, the different practice that I'm supposed to be doing and learning. Yeah. And what was the actual learning experience like for you? So now you've been thrown in, you have to do adolescent medicine, uh, you have to do the calls. What was that whole experience like for you? Overall, it was like a very rich experience. I've learned a lot and working with a lot of amazing people, the collaboration with different medical providers, being around people from different countries, different backgrounds, different experiences was very, very rich and I really enjoyed it. There are the ups and lows, there are the tough times and the good times. Overall, I feel this was a, a successful fellowship for me. Could you mention some of the good times, like the things that you could consider as the good times or the highs of the fellowship? The highs are the uh, connections with my co-fellows. We had fun together. We were very supportive of each other and we were very respectful of our individualities. Every one of us has different backgrounds, different beliefs and values, and everyone was unique. And we were able to see all of that and to enjoy each other's company. In addition to supporting each other in terms of learning, in terms of tough times and happy moments, I think that was number one. 
Yeah. And, you know, a big shout out to the co-fellows. I like the way I'm saying shout out. I'm part of the co-fellows <laughs> during the time you were there. And, you know, just big shout out to them. They know themselves and I know they've been listening to the podcast. So I just want to give them their flowers because I think, like you said, it was such a rich experience. And a huge part of that was that, you know, group of people that we were part of and became friends with that helped us be able to navigate things, be able to have a safe space. And so shout out to the co-fellows of Adolescent Medicine. They really went a long way. And I know you've mentioned sometimes what tough. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, it was tough navigating the system and the fellowship in the beginning. The balance between being a learner and also being an experienced pediatrician, that was tough. Also managing the expectations, like you are a fellow in a big well-known program and there are high demands and trying to meet these expectations while you're still struggling and you want to do your best. And maybe at, at first, like, you know, should I be vulnerable and open up and ask for help or just try to manage things by your own and find your way and things would be okay. But eventually, um, asking for help was, I think, a positive thing, and it helped me navigate things much easier, I think. The other tough things, some there are some moments where you, and it's and I might say it's rare, but there are moments where you feel undervalued, for example, from a staff or from a family, um, from a parent, which make you doubt yourself and doubt your decision to come here. But again, having a, a resilience and remembering why you're here and remembering that there are positive experiences compared to these negative experiences kept me kept me going, really. Yeah, and I, I hear you on that. And I just want to, I, I know there are a couple of things that you've mentioned, and I just wanted to ask if you could be able to expand on it a little bit, like just having moments where you just felt undervalued. What was one of the things in those moments that helped you navigate some of the feelings that came up and help you get out of that, you know, that funk that comes up with feeling undervalued. Yeah. So in the moment, the first thing that kept me going is remembering that I'm here for the patient. I need to do my best to do what is good for that patient. So for example, stemming away or leaving a very uncomfortable situation is not the right thing to do. That's number one, I think. And then when the situation is done, uh, I think debriefing was very helpful. Um, debriefing with my staff, debriefing with my co-fellows and my families as well. First to just give me a chance to express how I felt and also listening to other people's views and analysis of what happened helped me read the situation a bit different and also give me a chance to reflect and think how how can I do things differently and how can I manage similar situations in the future. It's really helpful to hear that, especially when you have certain staff who are so intentional about making sure that you know you have a safe learning environment. Yes, you're providing care and you know, how do we ensure that this person goes into the space and is feeling free and is feeling safe? And I really admire the fact that you would 
actually create these pockets of reflection where you really used to just take time and just say, this is how I'm feeling. And also just give people time to sort of reflect on that. And then how could you be better? And every time I feel like you'd encounter something similar the next time, you would be like next level. And I'm just like, wait, she just experienced something so similar, you know, a couple of weeks ago and how you've responded to it has shown such growth and, you know, in terms of for you as a professional and for you as a person. So I really value the fact that I got to see that process. Also just be able to sit back and let you reflect on some of the stuff that was going on. What were your thoughts about some of the things that were put in place for mental health for you as a fellow in your program? So in terms of um, mental health, uh, we were having a valiant group every few weeks where the fellows meet with a therapist or a um, psychologist, um, discuss every difficult experience. And then again, we share our thoughts, reflect on what happens, and the therapist will have also give his own input and thoughts about this, which I find it very helpful. There are individual meetings with the PD where they um, check in on us, ask if we're okay and how can they help. And the unofficial support of the fellows again and again was the best mental health. <laughs> also the social events that we were having sporadically throughout the academic year were very helpful as well. And it's so interesting because you and I would be seated in Balin Group, but I think initially I may have commented to you like, wait, we're going to talk about our feelings? Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm talking about our feelings in, in the hospital because in my previous experience it wasn't necessarily said out loud but there was a lot of like stuff your feelings down you know get the work done or leave your feelings at the door and come in and do the work and so having this sort of different space where we were talking to each other about how we were feeling was strange for me I won't lie it was very unique in that sense I agree. I had similar experience where there is no talk about mental health. <laughs> and going through this fellowship, now I understand how important it is. And I honestly want to bring it back to Kuwait where we can support the learners, whether it's like parent group or like at minimally a safe, a safe a space where a learner can be vulnerable to share their thoughts or struggles or challenges and how as staff or as team how we can support this person yeah absolutely what is the impact of this fellowship on your relationship with your friends Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. <laughs> uh, it was and it's still hard to manage connections. And not everyone actually understands that. Like, um, again, there are certain expectations, especially from families. Like, you need to call um, a certain time, keep the connection going. And sometimes you, you don't have the privilege of doing that in the, like, you know, according to their rules and in terms of friendship that's uh, again similar similar concerns 
And I would say that sometimes I felt I needed them to check on me at some times because it's hard to say that you're not okay. Or for example, if you feel lonely, you want someone to support you without being vulnerable. But again, I understand that everyone is busy. Everyone have their own stuff going, like life happens and you have to open up and ask for help if you need one. But again, like, you know, it's hard, but like I'm trying my best to connect with my, uh, with my friends, yes. um, but not the same, like it's not the same of course <laughs> yeah and I think it's really important that you know we all identified it's not going to be the same and it's for a short you know period of time so to speak and you know thank you for being able to be open about that do you have you know when you think about your fellowship experience do you have any regrets I don't know like it's it's a very positive experience a lot of personal growth a lot of career growth and I know that going back it will open new doors for me and I came to Canada and I chose this speciality because I wanted to make a change and I I can see that things already started to happen for me I really valued everything that I experienced here especially the connections uh, with my fellows uh, with co-fellows and my friends and it was hard. I was away from my family. Some connections got affected. Yeah, so it's like, it's not an absolute, I can't, I'm, I'm not regretting it, but there are wins and there are losses in this experience. Yeah. And I don't think it was a small thing that you did in terms of being able to have your family back at home in Kuwait, leave three kids at home while you came and, you know, did this fellowship, this very intense fellowship. And I think the one thing that a lot of the people I've interviewed who are moms is that mom guilt, where on the one hand, you're doing this amazing things academically and making all this progress. And then on the other hand, there's the mom guilt. There's that, you know, I'm still a mom and I'm not where I think I should be in terms of my kids in that moment. And I, I totally, you know, uh, hear you on that. And, you know, just to shift gears a bit, I know you are a person who loves to travel. I have been one of the recipients of just living vicariously through your adventures. What were some of the places that you had absolute the best time and you know in terms of your travels during the course of your fellowship yeah so um Vancouver was um, a very beautiful city I really enjoyed my time there I really wish I was able to to do that a bit earlier and maybe uh, do it a bit longer visit other places um around Vancouver and maybe go to Banff as well but yeah I think this is um this is the most beautiful experience uh, that I've uh, had the chance to do in Canada um I also went to Montreal Quebec and Ottawa Every city is different and it has a different vibe. But Vancouver was um, the city that I really, really loved. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure, you know, for those who are able to relate or even think about having some form of travel, that that would be one of the places that they would consider. 
And I'll jump now to the to the here and now. You have just completed your fellowship and graduated. So congratulations on graduation. Thank you. <laughs> and with this graduation and transition, there are a couple of exciting things that are happening back home in Kuwait. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So now there's a movement to advance the pediatric age group to 14. And within two years from that, advancing it further to 60 years old. So we're expanding the services of like for all the pediatric specialties, which is great. And of course, it would be very helpful more my, for my specific subspecialty. Um, another thing that they are recommending now is to have an adolescent medicine service in every pediatric department in Kuwait, which is a big shift. And uh, yeah, so I feel that's a very, very positive change and the ball is rolling toward adolescent medicine or at least caring for youth and teens in Kuwait. That is so exciting to hear. I absolutely love the fact that it's also staggered in terms of, in, you know, first starting at 14, then in a couple of years, increasing into 16, just that sort of like preparation to expand on the services. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of work on your hands, Patma. I know. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thinking of it is really exciting and overwhelming at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to plan ahead with like educational talks, recruiting more people to build a team, basically. And hopefully other doctors will be more interested in adolescent medicine and pursue the fellowship so we can provide more care and meet the demands of the services. I am so excited. And, and you are definitely someone to keep watching and keep an eye on in terms of the transformative things that are going to happen as you transition back to Kuwait. And I can hardly wait, you know, months from now, being able to just check in and just find out just how, how things are going and what the progress of things have been. So I'm so excited for you as a colleague and as a friend, I'm really excited about the prospects that this new policies, you know, provide for you as you're heading back home. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, that's uh, that's really exciting. <laughs> and if you are to think about advice or, you know, some nuggets of wisdom to someone who's thinking about doing a fellowship, what would your words of wisdom be for this person? I would say, if you're ready, just go for it. It's a very rich experience. I'm not saying it will going to be easy but it's worth it. Just try to be aware of the challenges that you might face. And yeah, just um, just go for it if you want, uh, if you really want it, but with an open eye. I absolutely love that. And what would your words of wisdom be to someone who's thinking about going into medicine? Just having come so far in terms of all your training and experience to somebody who's just thinking about stepping into medical training just know that medicine can be tough and it's also rewarding so 
just be aware of that your career path is very long. If you feel that this is what you really want, I would advise to choose a speciality that you love and that you're really passionate about because it can be challenging. It can be really, really tough. And for me, at least, what kept me going is the joy that I have from pediatrics. I would have chosen, for example, like a, a speciality with less workload, but because I loved it, I felt it kept me going. And another advice, if at some point you felt that medicine was not the right fit, or maybe the speciality that you chose was not right for you, there's always chance to step back and do something else that you really like, because it's 20, 30 years of work. So uh, choose carefully. <laughs> so well said. It's 20, 30 years of work. Choose carefully. I absolutely love that. And so if if someone has listened to this podcast and wants to be able to get in touch with you, Fatma, do you have a way that they can be able to send a message to you or to begin a conversation with you or ask you any questions? Yes, of course. And I would love to help anyone who's interested. You can send me an email through fati202 at gmail.com. And the spelling is F-A-T-E-E-202 at gmail.com. That's amazing, Fatma. I am so grateful. And I'm also going to include the email in the show notes in case anybody wants to be able to get in touch and ask more questions, because I believe even the fact that you've had such a rich medical experience in different um, settings is something that's so worthwhile to be able to learn from. And I'm so humbled that you gave us your time today to be able to share your experience and share your journey in terms of the Adolescent Medicine Fellowship. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jerry, for having me. Um, and I hope that I'm helping someone out there. <laughs> yes, thank absolutely. You. Thank you. Have thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you stayed tuned. Please get the word out and share it with at least three people. Make this episode like a chain letter. Share it, share it, share it. Come back for the next leg of our safari where we'll be talking about... I went to my master's training without fully understanding that I was going to do a nurse practitioner training. I went in knowing I'm going to do a master's in children's nursing, but I was pleasantly surprised to see that this master had a twist and I was very excited. Listeners are advised to use their own judgment and discretion when applying any information discussed in this and all podcast episodes to their specific situation. Always seek the advice of a qualified professional if you have any concerns or questions regarding a particular subject matter. You can find this and other episodes of this podcast on our website at www.fellowshipsafaris.org. You can also find all our episodes on all podcast platforms. Reach out to us on social media as Fellowship Safaris on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And our Twitter handle is at Fellowships Afar. 
You could also send us an email on fellowshipsafaris at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and interacting with what you have to say about the Fellowship Safaris podcast. It takes a village to make this podcast. The executive producer and original music is done by Mokavi Maweu. The sound engineer is Tevin Sudi with thanks to AQ Studios. Graphic design was done by Benjamin Mboya. We would like to give a special shout out to Josephine Karianjahe and Melissa Mbogwa of Africa Podfest. All rights reserved by Dr. Jerry Karianjahe and the Fellowship Safaris podcast. <laughs>